instructed me to quit praying for revival. He said, well, Brother Keith, what do you mean by that? He said, no. He said, he goes, that's future. Start thanking me now that you are in revival. Is it God's will to have revival? Why, of course it is. Revive means to wake up, amen, stir up, praise the Lord. And so I've been thanking God every single day that we are in revival. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. And I expect that to happen today. Amen. Because that's the way God is. Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the opportunity to release words from heaven that will set us free. That will build us up and to launch us into our future. Today, Father, we look to you to do that very thing. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it's of you. You've made us able ministers, all of us, of the gospel, because our sufficiency is of you. We thank you for the the heavenly host, the angels of God that are in this room. There's more angels in this room than there are people, Father. And we thank you that they are here in this room, Father. Thank you for the host of heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We've got to be more aware of the fact that, you know, the Lord spoke to my heart. I shared this last week. He said, Keith, there will always be more angels in your congregation than there are people. If I have a thousand people in my congregation, there will always be more angels. Amen. So we have to, the more aware you are of the angelic host and the more you are uh, about knowing their presence is here, the more sensitive we'll be and keen to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Ghost wants to just move, we just move with them. Amen. Amen. We've been talking, you know, for a few weeks now about this subject called redeeming the time. We're going to look at this uh, key scripture that we're looking at here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, starting in the, in the New Living Translation. It says, Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Verse 15 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those that are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Notice that verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now it's the King James that we get this phrase from, redeem the time. And that's simply what what that means, make the most of your time. And so we're talking about practical ways of how we can redeem the time or make the most of our time. And and just real quick review, review, number one, to redeem the time, we have to see time from God's perspective. And we made mention of the fact that every human being on this earth, uh, from from Genesis to right now, (laughs) every human being has had a 24-hour period every single day. Every human being has given 24 hours. You don't have less or more than me or anybody else. We have 24 hours, and it's how we, how we manage those 24 hours that really has a large degree that will determine our future. I know all of us here at some point in our lives know what it's like to feel like you wasted time. <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't it? Well, we don't, we don't have to live our days on this earth from here forward. What's happened behind us, you can't change that anyway. Amen? You have no control over the past, but you do have control over the future. And what you, how you see, how you manage these 24 hours will determine uh, how things are going to turn out. 
Now, when I talk about this, we are talking about uh, God's priorities. You ever hear the word priorities before, you know? You, just, you might say to someone, your priorities are messed up, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but if you look at the, the Garden of Eden experience, Adam was created by God. And when God created Adam, Adam had a relationship with God before Eve ever came along. He had a relationship with God first and foremost. Amen? And so when you realize the order of creation here, that our first responsibility in redeeming the time is to prioritize our time according to what, how God sees things. Amen? Did you ever notice that you can, all of us in this room, that we can always make time to do the things that we really want to do? Did you know that? Amen. We all, all of us have, we make time to do the things that we deem important. Correct? Well, we have to have God's perspective on this because if we have the tail wagging the dog, so to speak, you know, and put the fourth place, first place, then there's going to be a problem. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a lot of times people put hobbies and sports and and uh, all kinds of natural things first when that shouldn't be first. Now listen, God's not opposed to you having fun and playing games and playing sports and doing things, but that cannot be number one. It cannot be number one. If you want God's best in your life, it can't be. Amen? Your job can't be number one. Amen? Amen? But God has to be number one. All right? Now, when we see God's way of looking at things and we see things from His perspective, that can make everything line up the way that it's supposed to. And I've, I've made mention of this, that you have this vertical relationship with God, right? That's going upwards. Your vertical relationship with God will affect your horizontal relationship with people. Okay? Go to 1 Corinthians real quick here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just reviewing a little bit here. Then we're going to launch into some deep things here today. Some good stuff. Amen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. I've talked to people through the years, you know, and you hadn't seen folks for a while. And you say, Hi, how's it going? Busy. Busy, brother. <laughs> well, busy doesn't necessarily mean you're doing things right. How many of you know that? Do you ever see a hamster wheel? You know what those things are? The hamster gets on there. We, my sister had one. I never liked hamsters anyway. It's like, you know, give me a dog. <laughs> and uh, that thing would get on that wheel and just run and run. That thing would just, he would, he's not going anywhere. Amen. You can be so busy sweating, but not doing things in line with God's will and word. Amen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice our first call is the call to fellowship, koinonia, that's the Greek word, koinonia, fellowship. That means intimate connection and union with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's, our, that's our first call. Now it's interesting because we talk about preachers being called, and they are, making, we're not making light of that. But here it says, our first call is fellowship with God. Amen. The Father, the biggest 
thing that God desires, the Father God desires more than anything else is intimacy with His children, every single one of His children. Amen? That is the first call. Regardless of what we're doing in the natural, what our jobs are, our job descriptions are, our first call is to be intimate with God. Amen? Now listen, we're not supposed to wait till you get to heaven to be intimate with God. See, if you don't learn it, I know there's, listen, there's school in heaven. How many of you know that? There is school in heaven. I guarantee you. Okay? There's classes in heaven. If you don't learn it down here, you're going to learn it up there. Amen? So we might as well, that's one of the reasons we have the local church is to instruct and to teach and to train people. A lot of people don't see the local church as important, but let me tell you something. On God's priority list, it's way up here. It's way up there. Amen? And a lot of times how we treat the local church is really how we treat God. Someone said, ouch. <laughs> you know? How we treat the local church is really how we treat God. Because God set up the local church, didn't He not? And so, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9 says that God is faithful by whom you were called to the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. All right? So, we have to put God's kingdom first. We know Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek ye first, say first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we know the things he's talking about are what you eat, what you wear, and clothing, and so forth. The natural things of life that you need. But the Lord says this, Seek first my kingdom, and then these natural things will be added unto you. Hallelujah. He didn't say seek the things, he said seek him. In other words, I saw this one time years ago when I was at Bible school, and I thought, God said do something spiritual and it will affect the natural. Amen. I get in my back room in my closet where I pray or wherever I pray. Um, it's just me and God, okay? There's no one else that sees that except the Lord. That relationship with Him will affect my natural life. It will affect it. If we seek first the kingdom of God, He will add things to us. Well, what's the opposite? If we don't seek first the kingdom of God, then the natural things will not be added to us, Right? So the good news is, is we can sow to the Spirit and we can reap in the natural. Amen? Glory to God. So our biggest challenge that we have as human beings, we don't have a demon problem, we don't have a devil problem. Our biggest problem as believers, as believers, is keeping a right priority list. God has to be first. God has to be first. Elsewhere, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend eight hours a day in prayer or something like that. I'm not saying that. You know, God knows what, you're, what you have to deal with. He knows your kind of job. He knows all those things. But if you put effort into your time that you have, even if it's for uh, 10 or 15 minutes or a half an hour in the morning before, and I would suggest that you spend time with the Lord in the morning. Okay? David even said, he says, early I will seek thee. Amen? And so, uh, even if you're not a morning person, I mean, just do it by faith. Amen? But uh, when we, here's what I want to get into today is this, is that when you put God's kingdom first, your, your, your trust roots will begin to go deeper into the Lord. And that's, what, that's where we need to go. Go over to Proverbs chapter 3 for a minute here. Proverbs chapter 3. 
Now, I'm sure all of you here, and I've talked about this a few weeks ago, about the game of dominoes, right? You ever hear of the domino effect, the ripple effect, you know? You've seen, you ever set up, anybody here ever set up a row of dominoes and knock them down? You ever do that before? I've seen people, like a whole room the size of this almost, set up, takes them almost a whole day to set it up. (laughs) Here comes Junior running through the room, you know, whoa. (laughs) Stop him right now. (laughs) But see, it starts with one domino, and that one hits the number two, then two hits three, and then three hits four, and it goes so fast. Before you know it, that whole row is down, but it started with just one. That's the way our relationship is with God because you're, that has that domino effect when you approach God and you pursue God, then that domino effect will come down and affect every single area of our lives. That's why the devil tries to get us so busy to get us out of the presence of God so that we don't have time to put him first in our lives. And then the devil's got us in a trap. Look at how busy they are. And that's why it's important that no matter what we get involved with in the natural, we need to, uh, there's times a good idea isn't necessarily a God idea. Somebody can approach you with a good idea, but it doesn't mean that it's a God idea. Somebody can say, hey, can you help out in this particular area? Well, that it may be a good thing, but it may not necessarily be exactly what God wants for you at that moment. Amen? Sometimes people have a hard time saying no to things. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We've all done there, been there and done that. You know what I'm saying? But if we really pray about everything that we're involved with, it's, see, time is an investment. If we're going to sow time into something, we want to make sure, God, are you in that? Do you want me to do that? Amen? Now, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we know this scripture is a pretty familiar scripture. But look at verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Now notice he says in verse 5, we're to trust in the Lord with how much of our heart? All All of our heart. And don't lean to your understanding, your intellect. But in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. We brought out the fact that the word acknowledge, I looked it up in the thesaurus, you know. And here's some synonyms for acknowledge, and it means this, to recognize, to esteem, to endorse, to support, to allow, to yield. Think, think about that, to yield. You all know what a yield sign is, right? To respect, to inquire, to trust. Amen? To acknowledge. If you go to uh, Psalm 62 for a minute here, this is what we're going to pick up today. In Psalm 62, I want you to look at verse 8. Now, your fellowship with God, your, your connection with Him, that's how you plug in to the Lord through fellowship with Him. Talking with God will affect every area of your life. Now, in Psalm 62, verse 8, David said this. He says, trust in Him at all times. Notice that phrase there. That was part of that song this morning. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is our refuge for us. Now, see the little word, Selah? 
I used to look at that when I was a young Christian. I thought, what in the world? Is it Greek or what? What's the deal with this? You know? And then I found out later that the word sila means to pause, to stop, to meditate, and to think. So in other words, don't just fly through this scripture right here. He says, when it says sila, there's other scriptures that say this, sila. Amen? Maybe I should say that sometimes when we're preaching. Make a good point and say, sila. Say, who are you calling? No, I said, sila. Stop, pause, think, meditate. Amen? But notice it says we're to meditate on this fact that we're to trust the Lord at all times. Say all times. See, we're to trust the Lord at all times. On every opportunity, we are to trust Him. Pour out, notice this, your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. In other words, He is our shield and our protector, our refuge. Amen? You know, when you come before God, that's how you make the connection so that the trust connection so that you can trust Him for the things that you want to see in your life. Amen? And I know that when we, when we begin to trust, when you begin to trust the Lord and you really, when you cross that barrier, so to speak, where you're just kind of struggling, oh Lord, I'm trying to trust you, I'm trying to trust you. When you really trust God, you enter into a rest, a supernatural rest where like, you know, Lord, I'm not worried about that. I cast the care of it on you. You're going to take care of it. You're going to take care of my loved ones. You're going to take care of this. I'm not going to worry. Amen? Praise God. Hey, listen, God has sustained you up to this point. I was watching uh, uh, Billy Burke. Was it? Anybody see Billy Burke uh, down at EMIC? Oh, my goodness. And, uh, man, he has some revelation, little one-liners that he'll say, you know. And, like, he'll minister healing. Uh, in fact, he's going to be in Monroeville uh, Tuesday. Tuesday and Wednesday. No, no, wait. Yeah. No, wait. I think it's Monday and Tuesday. Monday and Tuesday, he's going to be in Monroe out there. But he, he was just, it was so cool because he would minister to people. They'd come up and they have, they would get healed of, of whatever disease they had. or I mean, lumps were disappearing. All kind of cool things were happening. And, uh, <laughs> and people would come up with multiple problems, you know, different problems. And, uh, and so they would see a change in that area, but then they would focus on the area that still needs fixed. And they get all depressed about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he said, look, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to thank God because healing sometimes is progressive. It doesn't, it's not just instant. It's progressive. So a person would come up and they had some kind of a deal with their leg, you know, and that got healed. But then there's a back issue. He said, don't just be thankful for what already took place and keep thanking God. And he made mention of the fact, this was, this was really ministered to me. He said, when God led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea, and they crossed over the Red Sea, then Miriam, remember she, uh, Moses' sister, got the timbrel, and the, they sang a song to the Lord. They praised God, the horse and the riders cast into the sea, you know. He said, that's the last time you see them thanking God. And yet God did miracles of provision and making the bitter water sweet. And he struck the rock and, and water came out, you know, and manna came down, quail came down. But you never see them thanking God and praising God anymore. Only the first time around. That really ministered to me. Because we have to be able to thank God when we see even small, minute changes. Amen? And when you stay thankful and you stay grateful, it keeps the switch of faith turned on 
instead of looking at the negative, what hasn't happened, what about what just did happen? Amen. Amen. Wow. As human beings, we all need this. We, I need this myself. But we need to look at, we need to count our blessings every single day. We need to start looking, I'm telling you, instead of grumbling and complaining and belly aching. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes we can be so blinded to the fact that we are just ungrateful and unthankful to our own life. We can point it out in somebody else easily. It's easy to do that. But look in the mirror, baby. Look in the mirror and say, you are not being really grateful right now. You're grumbling, you're complaining, you're murmuring, you know. And the Bible says that as long as Israel murmured in in numbers, it says they murmured in their tents. God heard them. They're in their tents. Guy leans over and says, Ethel, what do you think? This is getting rough out here in the wilderness. You know, I don't, I'm sick of this, you know. <laughs> you know? And God says, I heard that. <laughs> it's true. Think about it. these Old Testament examples. We can live by those examples. We're supposed to. And the Bible says that because of their grumblings and their murmurings in Numbers 23, that God allowed serpents to come out and bite poisonous snakes to come out and bite many of the Israelites. He, he didn't cause it. He allowed it. He backed off. Now the serpents were already there. They were there all along. But when they opened their mouth in Numbers 23 and they murmured and complained against God, God had to just back off and the serpents came out and bit many and many of them died in Israel. And so they started freaking out. You can understand. How many of you like snakes? <laughs> Not many people. I never understood people that have snakes for a pet. I thought, they need serious prayer. Okay? Got a bone constrictor in their house. That thing wants to just crawl around them and squeeze them to death. You know, they go, that's a nice pet. No, it's not a nice pet. Amen? (laughs) Didn't plan on saying that, but seriously. Well, they ran to Moses and said, oh, Moses, we've sinned against you and we've sinned against God. You know, and... uh, and Moses said, okay, the Lord, he went to the Lord and the Lord said this to him in the pillar of fire. And the Lord said, make thee a brazen serpent. Set it upon a pole. And he said, whoever looketh upon that serpent and stays connected to that serpent looking at it shall live and be healed of whatever disease that he had. Now this wasn't some little pole like that speaker right there. There's two million plus Jews out in the wilderness, Israelites. It was a massive pole. And the Lord said, make a brazen serpent. Why did God said put a serpent on there? Because the serpent represented the curse. Jesus said in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so that serpent is a type of Christ that became a curse. Now here's the thing. God said to, to, to them, He says, whoever looketh, Now, that doesn't just mean a mere glance. I looked it up. It's not just like. It's a continual stare. And God instructed them. They said, here's the deal. Here's the serpent. Gaze, look steadfastly on that serpent. So they kept looking at it. And meanwhile, their legs, they got bit on their leg. Wherever they got bit, and they're looking at it, all of a sudden they start feeling better. Glory to God, the snake bite, it's gone. The poison's gone. I feel good. I feel fine. Body, you fall in line. (laughs) <laughs> Amen. And there, didn't you know it happened? But here's the thing. That destruction that took place started with their mouth. 
All that mess. Now, the snakes were in the wilderness already, but they had no dominion over the Israelites until they opened their mouth and complained and murmured. They were out there. But guess what? God was protecting them. And snakes, of course, are always symbolic of Satan and evil spirits, right? Demons and devils, right? Amen? And sometimes we just need delivered from complaining. Amen? Stop complaining and start being grateful and start being thankful. Praise the Lord. Stop focusing on that one area of your body that's not working correctly. What about the 99% of the other part of your body that is working correctly? Focus on that. Accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. Focus on the good. Well, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now go to, to uh, Psalm 34, verse 1. Now we just looked at Psalm 62, 8, where it says, Trust in the Lord at all times. Say all times. So this has to be a choice on a daily basis. When you wake up in the morning, instead of grabbing that cup of coffee or whatever you drink, you know, I'm not criticizing that, but you say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to trust. Before you put your feet on that floor in the morning, you say, Father, I did this this morning. I said, Father, I trust you today. I might be half asleep, but I'll say, Lord, I trust you today. I'm looking to you today. You're my source. You're my source, Lord. You're my health. You're my provider. You're everything to me. Amen. Now, David says this again in Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord once in a while. No, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, had the Israelites saw this scripture and had they meditated on this scripture, the snakes would have never come out and bit them. See, you can be surrounded by evil and things that can hurt you and harm you and none of it will touch you. Only heaven will reveal, I believe, the things that God delivered us from that we didn't even know about because it didn't happen. Do you know how many things should have, could have happened to us, but they just didn't happen to us? Split second choices, decisions where God protected us. God kept us. He has. But see, I've learned a lot from this, and I'm still learning, that if I bless the Lord at all times, then there's no room left for crumbling and complaining. I I'm either thanking God or I'm complaining. Okay? Amen. Sometimes, you know, I got down about something, you know, and just started, you know how it is. We walk around and uh, Sister Lynn said, well, you're not thanking God, Keith. Something to that effect, you know, and I thought, My flesh did not want to hear that. And she would say something. I remember one time she said, more than once, she said, Keith, if you're thankful and you're thankful, you're not going to be talking about some issue like that. And I thought, yeah, she's right. Okay? And so that's the way we need to be with one another. We're not trying to hurt or condemn one another. We're trying to help each other. We're trying to help each other. Amen? And sometimes I might say something from the pulpit up here that might be corrective in its nature, but I'm not trying to hurt a soul that's here. I'm trying to help. 
I'm trying to help, amen? Because if we yield to that correction and we yield to it and then we do what the Word says, here comes the blessing. It's just going gonna, gonna to keep coming. So he says here, I will bless the Lord at all times. My, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. There's been songs written about that, you know, using that scripture. But boy, that's so powerful, isn't it? I will bless. That's a challenge. I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, you know, uh, when Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, they were, they were uh, thrown in the Philippian jail for getting a girl that was demon-possessed from a spirit of divination. Remember, they delivered her. Remember that? And, well, she had two masters that were reaping some benefits financially because she was a fortune teller, okay? But this, this lady followed Paul many days, you know, and he said, These are servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. Remember that? And uh, the Bible says this she did many days. Not just a couple of weeks, but many days. Now, it wasn't what she was saying that was wrong. It was the spirit that was behind it. There's a difference between praise and flattery. When someone flatters you, they're saying something good to get something out of you. When you praise someone, you're not trying to get something out of them. You're trying to put something into them. And the Bible says Paul turned to the spirit. I guess the Lord opened up his eyes. He saw the evil spirit that was operating behind this woman. And he, t he commanded the spirit to come out of her. Now our masters must have been close by because they, they were reaping financial benefits because people would be going. It's no different today. You know, see these old beat up houses on a corner. I've never seen a prosperous looking place yet. <laughs> Sister Esther, we'll read your palm. The grass is this high. Amen. Porch is about falling apart. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? She's going to read your palm, though. Amen. Well, these are, that's the occult. People get involved in those kind of things. Amen. I was in a grocery store line uh, maybe, you know, six months ago, you know. And, um, and I tried to develop relationships when I'm checking things out. You know, I try to develop relationships, plant seeds with people that are there. And I've had a lot of opportunities through the years to plant seed when I'm in the checkout line and to the cashier or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I was talking to this one young lady, and she, I said, well, how's it going? You know, how you been? And she goes, well, I'm going to a fortune teller tomorrow. And she was excited about it. And I looked at her, you know, and I said, honey, I said, don't do that. I said, I said that is demonic. You know, I don't know if she listened to me or not. I said, that's, those are demons behind those people, okay? You don't want some demon trying to talk about your future. He's going to lie to you anyway. Okay? I remember when I was just a youth, I was about 15, 14, 15 years old. I went to my first youth camp at the Methodist church I went to. We went to this camp, and uh, I'm just young. You know, I'm one of the youngest people in my youth group, you know, and there's all these. And they decided to have a seance at the youth group. Church camp. Okay? And uh, so there was a lot of pressure and peer pressure to go up there, you know. And, and uh, so I, I, I sort of made my way up there, and as soon as I got in there, I felt freaked out. I was like, get me out of this place. I left that place, you know. Somebody started levitating. They had tables levitating and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, but, you know, something in me, 
something in me said, get out of there. You don't belong there. Go right now. Ouija boards, tarot cards, the occult. These are all, these are all demonic things. Okay? And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times in your horoscope, look in the newspaper. Man, I wasn't planning on saying this. These are dangerous things when you play with these things. And all you need to do is if you've messed with it, just say, Lord, forgive me. I cleanse myself. Wash me of this in the blood of Jesus right now. I don't want anything to do with the occult. Well, so here we go. Here's a, Paul and Silas got thrown into jail because they, they realized that their hopes for their, their financial future was really threatened now because the demon that was in her was the demon that was telling people's, you know, reading their mail and stuff like that. You know, listen, there's a thing called familiar spirits. You know what, from the Bible talks about familiar spirits. What are they? These are demon spirits that have been around a long time and they follow people. When you see, like, for example, you know, they call it this haunted place, you know, and this George Washington appears or Abraham Lincoln, you know. That's not Abraham Lincoln. That's not honest Abe. That's not George Washington. What is that? That's a familiar spirit uh, uh, imitating, imitating that person to deceive people. Amen. First and foremost, you don't need to be afraid of demons and evil spirits and haunted places. I mean, listen, there's demons and devils everywhere. There, it's, I'm not trying to put fear in it. They're everywhere. Okay? Oh, that place is haunted. Folks, there's demons everywhere, but they don't have any authority over you. They don't have any authority over you. And if you just talk about demons and evil spirits and stuff like that, then you attract them to you. It, it does. It creates a spirit of fear. The more you talk about it, like, make sure that light's on at night. I'm not going to sleep without the light on. I remember one time, I'll never, this was so funny. It is now, but my dad, when I was just probably 16 years old, I was, and my, my brother, who's 16 years younger than me, he came along, you know, and I was already 16 years old, so they, they changed my bedroom and put it behind the kitchen. They built a bedroom. There was a porch there, and they built this little area and made it my bedroom. I was like, that's awesome. It's right next to the refrigerator, you know. And, um, and I just started getting a hold of God, you know. Well, it was funny because my father, you know, he, uh, he said, well, it's on tonight. I said, what do you mean? He said, the exorcist is on TV tonight. And I was like, oh. And he was going to watch it. And I told my dad, I said, Dad. I'm just a little 15, 16-year-old kid, basically. Don't know hardly anything, but I knew that wasn't right, okay? And I could hear the TV. He was in there by himself. My mother was already upstairs. She's not going to watch that. She had some common sense, you know. But my dad was curious. He said, oh, it's just a movie. I said, Dad, you shouldn't be watching that stuff, you know? And I'm... And I was in the bedroom, you know, and I could hear the TV. I could hear the, 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 the eerie music and all that stuff, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, bless his heart, you know. <laughs> He's in there watching it. And all of a sudden, uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes after the movie was shown, I heard, and it startled me, I heard him go, oh, oh, here, <laughs> you know. And I, and I ran in there. 
And I guess he fell off to sleep, had a nightmare. I said, oh, I told you, you shouldn't have been doing that. I'm telling my own dad, I'm 16 years old, you shouldn't be messing with that. <laughs> years later, we laughed about it, you know what I mean? He's with Jesus now. But um, those, those kind of things, those kind of things, movies like that, we shouldn't be watching. I don't even know why I'm saying this today, but we should not expose ourselves to these kind of movies, like R-rated movies and stuff. We ought not have any business with that kind of stuff. Amen? What is it promoting? What is it promoting? Right? What is it doing for the imagination? Hallelujah. And I think, you know, there's been this fascination even nowadays with, with these heroes and stuff like that, these superheroes, these movies and stuff like that. Folks, this is, the way, this is what God wants us to look like in the spirit. He's our, God's our superhero. Amen? Amen? Anyway, got off on a little tangent there. But he says, I will trust him at all times and I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. So, yeah, I was getting back to the thing with Paul and Silas. All right, they were thrown in jail for casting a devil out. And they wrongly accused them, threw them in jail, whipped their backs, put their hands and the feet in the stalks. And the Bible says at midnight... That's the darkest hour. They're in a germ-infested uh, prison. It's not like our prisons today. It's the sewage dump of the city. Literally. Yeah. Sewage dump of the city. This is their kind of prisons that they were. And their backs were bleeding. And they're in the stocks. They're in prison. But Acts 16 says, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed Number two, sang praises to God, and the other prisoners heard them. Now, that's not logical, is it? How many people in the natural you would yield to that? You'd be like, oh, God, my back's bleeding. I'm hurting. I'm in this nasty prison right now. Look at all these potential germs that are here for infection and stuff like this, you know. But see, Paul must have known something that we, didn't, we don't know. He knew this scripture, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And the Bible says at midnight, the darkest hour, the darkest hour, they not only prayed, I'm convinced that had they lived this long, if they just prayed, they'd still be in the prison. No, they went from first gear to second gear. They prayed, and then number two, they, and they praised God. And the other prisoners that were there heard them. Don't you know they were probably mocking them? Cussing them out. What are you doing? You know what I'm saying? You bunch of religious nuts. What are you doing here? Praising God, you know? But the Bible says God sent an angel down there and shook that prison. Sent an earthquake. Just shook that prison. And notice this. Every man's bands were loosed. Not just Paul and Silas. Everybody in prison. Now, here's the miracle. The miracle was nobody left. Yeah. <laughs> you know how many prisoners, if the, the doors open, the windows open up, you know, they'd be like, I'm out of here, boom. You know, they stayed there. Why? Because the manifest presence of God, the glory of God came into that cell. And the prisoner, the, 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 uh, the leader of the prison, the Bible says he would have fallen on his sword and killed himself because here's the deal. If you, if you were the, in charge of a prison, if any of your prisoners released, it was a death sentence to that, that guard. 
So he said, I might as well just take my life right now. And Paul says, do yourselves no harm. We're all here. And you know, Bible history tells us, shows us that, that, that the head of that prison cell, and, and Paul said, what must I, he came to the guy, he says, hey, what must I do to be saved? That's what he said. What can I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in thy household. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy household. Glory to God. And, um, and I believe that he became the next pastor there at Philippi. Now remember that we were talking about Philippians. There were 16. That's the book Paul wrote from the jail in, in, in Philippi. 16 times in there he mentions the word rejoice. There is victory in rejoicing. I know you don't feel like it sometimes. I know the circumstances are looking real pretty sometimes. But there is victory when you rejoice and you sing praise and you shout and you give glory to God. Something happens in the realm of the Spirit that will shake the very foundation of the things that are troubling you. They were praising God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Whatever they were saying. And, and bam, here comes an angel from heaven and shakes that prison and they're all set free. Supernatural deliverance. Do you know what I... Do you, do you want to know how to get quick victory in your life? Do you want to know how? Anybody? Yes. All right. Come back next week and I'll tell you. Here's what you need to do. You pray first. That's good. You pray. You believe God. But then, and here's where most of us miss it. We don't shift gears. We don't go into thanksgiving and praise before we see it. You see, the angel didn't come and shake the prison before they prayed and sang praises. It was after they prayed and sang praises. Amen? They were still in stocks. They were still beaten. They were still bloody. But that didn't stop them. They said, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're God. You're big. You're strong. Hallelujah. Bigger than this mess that we're in right now. That's when the angel came down and shook that place. Now, anybody can rejoice and praise God after something happens. Right? When they got over the Red Sea... After the Red Sea split, drowned the enemies, then they were like, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Remember that? <laughs> Some of you remember that song. <laughs> the Lord my God. <laughs> remember that? Years ago we used to sing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anybody could do that. After... The enemies are drowned. Correct? Anybody could do that. But it takes a woman or a man of faith to praise God before you see those things happen. Okay? This is how it works. When I had that golf ball size growth on my right here where this watch is on my years ago, years ago, there. I cursed it, I prayed over it, spoke to it and everything. It still was still there. But then the Lord said, all right, now it's time to shift gears. You need to start thanking me. You need to start praising me. You need to start rejoicing that you are healed in Jesus' name. 
Amen? So every day, I quit counting day after day after day. I'd say, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm healed. Hallelujah. I curse that growth as far as I'm concerned. It's gone in Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And I would just get caught up in that. Now, I didn't feel any different. I didn't feel any goosebumps when I was doing that. I did it by faith. I did it by faith. But there came a day when it just, just disappeared just like that. Had my hand on I'm like, when our hand was on it, I was like, my family and I were sitting on our family bench in our front yard. That little bench, we're all sitting there, you know. And I said, oh, it's a beautiful night, summer night, stars out. And I said, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for healing my wrist. And when I did that, I felt something leave instantly, like, like a balloon popped. Well, praise the Lord. So I told my family, I said, you want to see a miracle? Sure, what's going on? Brought them in in the foyer where we walk in our front door, a small little foyer of the house that we rented at the time. I turned the light on. I said, look, it's all gone. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm convinced that had I not have thanked God and praised God prior to that, that thing would still be here to this day. Are you with me now? You see, if we can get used to responding to praise and worship in an atmosphere of worship and praise, the miraculous, and I think, I think that's where God's taken us as a congregation even more, is to be quick to praise God, quick to give thanks to God, quick to give glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. And I mean, I'm not just talking about in church service. I mean, worship in church is important. We don't just do it to prime the pump, so to speak, you know. You know what I mean? That's not why we worship God. But here's the thing. When we practice praising Him, and I would encourage you and admonish you starting today to start thanking God for the things that you so desire to see in your life. Okay? And you watch and see how quickly that situation will turn around. We call it a 180. Okay? Now let's go to one more scripture here because we're almost out of time here. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to wrap this up here. <clears throat> now let me just, without reading all these scriptures here, I will just read a couple of things here. But I want to set the picture here that David, the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's presence, remember that, was taken by the Philistines and taken into captivity. And... Uh, Pick it up in verse 6. And David again gathered all the elite troops in the Israel, 30,000 and all, and he led them to Bela of Judah to bring back the ark of God. This is in the NLT, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God, notice this, on a new cart, and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, Abinadab's sons, were guided, uh, guided the cart that carried the ark of God. Aiah walked in front of the ark, and David and all his people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of music on instruments. And then verse 6 it says, uh, But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, 
the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. And then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there before, beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah, and he named the place Parat Uzzah, which means the burst out against Uzzah, it is still called to this day. Now verse 9 says, And David was afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath, and the ark remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Notice that. All right. Now here's what I want you... There's a lot that we can see gleaned from this here, but when they were returning, gathering, got the ark that was in captivity, and they brought it back, there was a lack of understanding here, and because David was instructed by God, he said that the the ark is never. You see, there was pole, there was holes on the on the ends of the ark of the covenant, and there were supposed to be poles that went through that ark, and it was only to be carried on the on the shoulders of the priests. Okay. Well, they decided to take a shortcut, and they had an oxen haul it, okay, which was, no, 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 you don't carry the presence of God. An oxen does not carry the presence of God like that. It has to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. And so what happened was, is this guy named Uzzah <laughs> had a rough day. And so the oxen stumbled in the cart, the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall. So he's thinking, I'm going to do a good thing here. He reached over to steady the Ark. And when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, zap, he fell dead. Now, it wasn't because God was ticked off this day or he had a bad day. He was in a bad mood. It's the fact that man in his fallen sinful condition, when he touches something that holy, something's going to give. Something's going to give. It wasn't because God was upset. Now, when the Lord, when David went before the Lord, he was upset about it. And the Lord said, you didn't follow me after due order. You can read about that in Chronicles. He said, it's never, ever, the Ark of the Covenant is never to be uh, uh, carried by oxen. It's supposed to be on the shoulders of the priests. You see what I'm saying? And so, uh, because they didn't seek the Lord, because they didn't get His guidance about this, they just got all excited about that. And they put the cart before the horse, so to speak, you know. And when they did, someone died. Okay? And so we get this guy named Obed-Edom, and David just says, we're going to put the ark in his house for a couple of months, three months. And the Bible says here that the ark was in his house for three months, and the Bible says God blessed everything that he had in his house for those three months. Hmm. Now we're talking about the presence of God, seeking first the kingdom of God. This ark was symbolic of God's presence, right? It was God's presence. Now listen, the ark is on the inside of us in the new birth. <laughs> in fact, being the New Testament, we could walk in there and touch that ark and nothing would happen to us. Why? Because we have the same spirit on the inside of us. We're born again. We're blood washed. So it wouldn't hurt us. It wouldn't harm us. Right? But notice that this guy had the ark, which is God's presence, for three months in his house. And the Bible says the blessing of God was in that man's house. Everything that he had. 
Look at verse, verse 9, it says, verse, or verse 11, it says, The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Oh, glory to God. God's abiding presence will bless you, will increase you, will heal you, will deliver you, and it will provide for you. Hallelujah. Obed-Edom reaped the benefits of God's abiding presence in his house. He probably felt kind of bad after that, after they took it out and brought it into the city of David, right? But David saw, they saw the fruit of this and said, we're going to bring this back into the house of God, all right? Now, I'll pick this up next, next time we talk about this, but in the New Testament, I'll just, you can just write this down, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 16, all talk about that you are the temple of the living God, that our bodies are the temples of the living God. God's presence is where? It's on the inside of us. If we're born again, it's on the inside of us. Now, here, here's, here's the, the difference. Uh, Philemon, it looks like filet mignon when you read it. It's a small book. Philemon. Chapter 1, verse 6 says this, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You can be a born-again Christian, be blood-washed, have your name written in the book of life, be born again, and still live as if God doesn't exist. There are Christians that walk around all over the place, in our city, elsewhere, that are born again, if they were to die today, they'd go directly to be with Jesus. But they don't have a clue about what it means to be filled with God, controlled by God, have their minds renewed with the Word of God. In other words, God's not in their thinking. And so they can live and they can walk and they can go through this life and suffer the same thing that the world suffers because of a lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. But when you realize that, wait a second here, when I got saved, I didn't just get my sins forgiven. A big chalkboard was just wiped out. I didn't just get forgiveness of sins. The Bible says your body became the temple of the Holy Ghost. So a person moved on the inside of you. Everybody put your hands right here. Mm. Say this after me. Say, my body body is God's temple. God lives in me. God lives in me. He really lives in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you do that every day, my body is the temple. Sometimes I'll look in the mirror if I'm in a house or whatever, you know. I'll look in the mirror and I'll point to myself. Amen? Well, don't laugh. It works. I look in the mirror and I say, God lives in that man. Glory to God. And I go out and I go about my business. Now, that means I'm not just walking through life and it's just me. It's just old Brother Keith walking around here. It better be more than just Brother Keith. Amen? Because I know what Brother Keith can produce and that's zero. Amen? 
Same with y'all. Right? But if you acknowledge the fact that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, God lives on the inside of me, I'm never alone, I'm never lonely, ever, ever. That cures any loneliness you could ever have if it's you and God. Amen? I mean, I might say, I'm alone. No, I'm not alone. I'm with God. I'm with Him. I'm talking with Him, fellowshipping with Him. And so we need to become more conscientious, more conscious of the fact that when I face adversity, whoa, wait a second here, wait a minute here, I feel this fear trying to come against me. Y'all have that too? Fear trying to come against you, you know? You stop and you stop and think, wait, wait a minute here, who lives inside of me? God lives on the inside of me. And if God lives on the inside of me, He's going to help me get over this whole situation right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's how you stir up yourself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When he faced Goliath, that wasn't the first time he faced a big challenge. He faced the lion, he faced the bear first, and he defeated them through the hand of God, through God's presence and anointing. How many people do you know are out there wrestling bears and lions and taking them down with your bare hands? No pun intended. Huh? Well, David, when he came out to this 11 and a half foot giant Goliath from Gath, <laughs> he just said, who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine? He should defy the armies of the living God. Remember that? Now, we th sometimes we think, oh, that's just a Bible story as if it's a make-believe thing. No, this actually happened. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it actually happened. David did. There was a time in history where David, you will see reruns of this in heaven, by the way. You will see it. You will see it just like you were there. Amen? Amen. David had something. I'll close with this this morning. This is so powerful. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. David was covenant-minded. The Lord showed me this. He says, Keith, he goes, how many Israelites? There was, there was thousands and thousands of Israelites. Thousands. And the Lord showed this to me. He said, Keith, any one of those Israelites could have taken out the giant but they didn't because they were not mindful of their covenant that they had with God. There was only one person out of all of Israel, <laughs> the minority, that knew his covenant with God. And that's why he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What does that mean? That means he doesn't have a covenant with God. He's out there every day. He'd get out there in front of Israel Three, uh, a couple of times a day and mock and curse Israel and they'd all shake in their boots. They were trembling with fear. They didn't know what to do. They were frozen with fear. You know. But here comes David off the backside of where he's tending his father's sheep. He brings down cheese and bread. Sounds like pizza to me. And he brings it down to his brothers, you know. And he sees what's going on. He says, well, what is the deal with this? You know. And they just thought he was trying to make a show of the whole thing. Remember that? called naughty little David. What are you doing, youngest? You should be back there with a few sheep on the backside of the desert. They're mocking him. He said, wait a second here. He's speaking trash to him now. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He doesn't have a covenant with God. I'll go out and take him out. 
Amen. And there was a huge prize. I mean, the tax free for the rest of his life. Got the king's daughter. I mean, there's all kind of prizes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. Any one of those Israelites could have taken out. And the Lord spoke to me uh, about a week ago. He says, Keith, my desire for all of my kids is that they be giant killers. He goes, I want my kids slaying giants on a regular basis. Now, we don't literally go out there and get a sling and, you know what I mean, at a giant, literal giant, but there are circumstances in our lives that are like giants. Okay? And I like what Billy Burke said this past week. He said, David's words hit Goliath before the slingshot did. Because he said, this day I will take your head off. This day I'll give your carcass to the birds of the air. Amen? He came at him with a sword and a spear. He says, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Glory to God. Amen? And so... It's people that do know their covenant with God, their contract that they have, their connection with God, that every single day we can slay some giants. Amen? It's fun to slay giants. That, that growth I was telling you about, that was a giant to me. Okay? Your checkbook can become a giant to you. Your problems in your family can become a giant to you. Whatever, okay? Now just bear with me here. But when you know your covenant with God, God lives inside me. I know this is going to take more sessions to communicate what's in my spirit here, but let me tell you something. When you know that your covenant with God and God lives on the inside of you, you cannot be defeated unless you just lay it down and say, go ahead, devil. Amen? Praise the Lord. I have a covenant with God. I have a relationship with God. I have a covenant with God. And when something comes at me, it's not just coming at me, it's coming at God that lives on the inside of me. And I'm not going to lay down and let the enemy run over me. I'm just not going to do it. Amen. <laughs> David was only a 16-year-old, or 17-year-old actually, teenager, when he took out Goliath. A teenager. But he knew his covenant. Folks, when we know our covenant with God, we're blood-bought, blood-washed, chosen of God, temples of God. When we know that and we act on that, the devils run from us. They flee from you. Because they can't stand up, just like Goliath couldn't stand up to David. Oh, my goodness. Folks, it was more than just a little stone that took that giant down. David did his part. And he released that. But there was something behind that stone that wasn't just natural. David had his part. I believe God and angel took that stone and just made it faster and stronger and went sunk right in his forehead and there he goes. Okay? And when you, when you take your covenant serious and what belongs to you and who you are in Christ, this is where we're talking about spending time with God. Amen? Because your inner man can get bigger. Stronger and bigger and stronger and bigger. Smith Wigglesworth had 24 people raised from the dead. Graveyard casket dead. Raised from the dead. He said this. He said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. That was, he said, I'm a thousand times bigger. Hallelujah. On the inside. 
than I am on the outside. What's he talking about there? You know what he's talking about? His spiritual influence, his relationship with God. 